born in the pandemic era, thriving in the Zoom era, it's Resonance Rewind with Robin Pierce, Jessica Burtis, Pamela Sue Mann, Jenny Bill, Kathy Manzo, Alex Lefchuk, and more, sharing lessons from the creatives of yesteryear for the population of today. The ever-dwindling population, because quite frankly, we're still in the pandemic era. A complete crash course in how to be Lanning Kessler, Dallas, or Houston, the Côte d'Azur, and the special relationship. Sounds very much like key ingredients for a further adventure in Resonance Rewind. What else are friends for except to desert you in your hour of need? One of my little quotes of the day. I think it's also one of Kathy Manso's as well. Uh, Robin Pierce has not arrived yet. He's unduly late, unduly tardy, but never mind. Let's go to uh, Jenny <laughs> first and foremost. And uh, Jenny, would you like to share your thoughts on this particular episode of The Persuaders? We'll kick off start straight uh, with your good self. Uh, what did you make of it? Um, yeah, I'm familiar with the persuaders uh, I particularly love the theme music I've always really loved the theme music never really a huge fan of the tv show I suppose I'm a kind of a person that I like my stuff I'm not really into comedy and I absolutely can't stand Tony Curtis I have to say that he irritates me and the the program would be 150% better if he wasn't in it but I I have to say that I've, and I've never seen this episode before and I did actually really enjoy it um, I was shocked at how thin Annette Andre <laughs> is in the in, in it. She is so thin, um, but I actually really enjoyed it. And I can see how the two lead characters work together so particularly well. I think the uh, the dialogue is fast paced and and very well done. Um, so yeah, I was surprised. It surprised me that I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to do because obviously I am already familiar with it. Well, again, it's an interesting line on that basis. Uh, the uh, overall narrative, of course, uh, directed by Basil Dearden and, of course, uh, written by uh, the uh, wonderful John Cruz. 
Um, we also have uh, the returning soul who, again, keep big fan of Annette Andre and sort you through all manner of other bits and pieces. Annie Snart with us. Annie, uh, <laughs> share with us your initial thoughts before we kind of in reverse order go to Robin and actually get him to do the, the praise of the whole piece. <laughs> oh, well, I'm in contrast, you see, because I absolutely adore Tony Curtis. <laughs> uh, and I was I was in my element i watched the whole whole episode and i loved it took me right back to my childhood and it had so many of my favorites in it i couldn't believe i agree with you on annette andre my goodness me bless her <laughs> she certainly looked like she needed a good meal but what a beautiful lady and what a natural actress given that i happen to know that she has never had acting lessons because she told me that the last time I spoke with her so she's an absolute natural and um yeah I had a fantastic time going back down memory lane and watching it and I thought they all worked so well together the three of them made a, a brilliant team I think has finally arrived he's turned up in his aston martin uh he's got his bs1 slogan on to place he's all sorted to do as i said at the start what, what better way to actually demonstrate what else are her friends for other than to desert you in your hour of need robin <laughs> it's time for your praise well i will just let you know that my the number plate on my card does actually have rp on it so there okay the persuaders <laughs> Um, they say that the 70s was the decade that style forgot. You know what? We had the persuaders, though. And I'm not quite sure how much uh, Alex has given you on background. It was an early 70s series with Roger Moore and Tony Curtis, two huge stars at the time, as two devil-may-care millionaire playboys, one a British lord and one an American self-made millionaire, who are coerced, blackmailed, actually, into duty to fight crime by uh, Judge Fulton, played by Lawrence Naismith. Now, in this episode, our two heroes are happily uh, water skiing uh, in the south of France, the Côte d'Azur, where they actually come across the floating body of a young woman. The police seem absolutely disinterested in doing anything, just writing her off as as a casualty. Many people get caught in the riptide out in the Bay Monsieur. Um, but their, their outrage, especially when they meet a friend of the girls, played by Annette Andre, given a far meatier role here than anything that we've covered of hers in Resonance Rewind so far, um, they decide to investigate. What they don't know is that they've all been set up by, of course, the judge. They come across a plot where, well, a businessman has been murdered, and he has been replaced by a body duplicate in a means of, of getting all his money. And to be frank with you, my childhood lied to me because given the number, the stunning number of body doubles used in shows like The Persuaders, I can imagine that there is one more episode with a body double of Brett Sinclair in it. I thought the body doubles would be playing a far, far bigger part in my life than they actually did. Just like Quicksand, really. I've never encountered any of that either. But anyway, they investigate. Cars get tampered with. Uh, all of a sudden, though, 
during the car chase, they are no longer in the south of France. They are right here in my very recognisable own North Wales backyard. Go figure. Take it away, Alex. Well, we will find out exactly what Cathy Manso thinks of the uh, Persuaders right now. Oh, yes. It was the first time. It will not be the last time. I think it's the collaboration the world needs. Uh, <laughs> I can see how anyone who's English could laugh at the American side and anyone who's American can laugh at the English side. Truly complimentary. <laughs> I was very impressed with the uh, number plate for Brett Sinclair's car because anybody who can actually drive a car with BS1 uh, as the actual number plate clearly has got chutzpah, I think, uh, in a whole variety of things. And then Andre, of course, one of our, our great midweek drivers, uh, takes a key role in this as Pico. Um, how did you feel the whole show developed? I mean, it's something we, we talked about. This would have actually gone to a second series had it not been a, for a series called Mission Impossible, which effectively uh, scored slightly higher ratings in the States. So that effectively sort of kept its place, whereas The Persuaders just lasted for one season. But how did you, uh, what did you make of it? I, I really liked it, but it did take a little bit of time for me to get into it. The opening scene was good. I was interested. I was engaged. I wanted to know more. I liked the quick deception for the greater good that quickly ensued. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there were definitely some parts that dragged on a little bit. But what kept me hooked was honestly the, the beautiful design on the set. <laughs> the colors were so vibrant and vivid that I'd be stuck looking at certain things <laughs> just being like how'd they get that so red <laughs> so um, there's definitely a lot to take from it and even if you it's not engaging all the way through there's still things to be kind of curious and questionable about but I do like a lot of the one-liners that came from this show so there's definitely things I'm going to be keeping for myself like Brett's uh what sentence being like I've never taken the servant's entrance in my life, why would I start now? <laughs> so yeah, I particularly liked uh, Danny Wilde's response to uh, when they're asking for the passports back with the police officer and uh, the passports will be returned in due course. How, how, how soon will that do be coursed, pal, basically? <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of that that worked through that, it certainly had a sparkle in terms of obviously the script and of course the, the actual de uh, design. I mean, shot on film, a rare, a little, a relative rarity in terms of ITC because uh, not using back projection here. They actually went on location to uh, France to actually film a majority of the external shots. The internal studio material was filmed, obviously, uh, in Elstree, I think. Um, but uh, certainly, again, it, it gave them the chance to actually get out and about and, and work through that. And, of course, what's not to love about the Quinn Travis five dancing girls, really? The Quinn, Tav <laughs> Quinn, Quinn Travis quintet, really. I've already mentioned last week, I did feel that the final sequence considered some of the worst dancing I've ever seen by any actors at any time. But then the question, can you do the chicken, is also one of those classic lines of dialogue from Brett Sinclair. Can you do the chicken? <laughs> well, me personally, I feel like I've been born to do the chicken my whole life. Um, but <laughs> it was impressive to see, like, how, how is it that, you know, they practice. You know that this was not a one-time thing to go. And then they were like, this is how we're going to go with the dance sequence. And it's going to be all right. I also like that he went in for, like, the high five and then was immediately shut down. And I was like, oh. Heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the adventurous nature of uh, obviously two very well-to-do people. One, of course, the American Danny Wilde from Brooklyn, uh, echoing Burnish Farts, obviously Tony Curtis's real life, a passage from Brooklyn through to obviously uh, a very wealthy position. He played the stock markets. He worked through that side of things. Lord Brett Sinclair, born with the silver spoon in his mouth, effectively inherited wealth and so on. Did you feel that that dynamic worked? I mean, we saw the catalyst, um, uh, the person who was responsible for putting them together in the first episode, Overture, of course, which we haven't analysed as yet. But in this one, of course, uh, Lawrence Nesmith uh, is the character who effectively comes in very briefly and, and has a word with the inspector and says that if, if he'd asked them to do it, they wouldn't have done it. So effectively, they were using reverse psychology to actually get them to investigate the murder. <laughs> I, I thought 
that interesting because I don't know the characters too well. So I was like, do they need reverse psychology to do something? Or is it because they're like on holiday and they feel like, oh no, I don't want to put these hours in. Uh, the government system would go against me. But if I trick them and they do it out of their own willing <laughs> need to know, they have to do it and I don't have to spend a dollar. But the dynamic between the two characters, I did really enjoy. I think what I found impressive between the two of them was more about the language they would use. like. I liked hearing like the American colloquialisms, especially since he's from Brooklyn and that's my grandmother's from Brooklyn. So I know, I know the accent, I know the expressions. Uh, my dad's born and raised in Queens. Uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's and, and also the style that he chose, although it's a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit too clean cut, but I had to remind myself that, wait a minute, it's a decade, like the fashion is going to be good. Also, they're in France. If you're not bringing in the fashion, when are you bringing in the fashion? Uh, <laughs> so that would probably be my one uh, criticism towards uh, Danny's character. But I, I kind of, I felt like, I, I know that he, the American is supposed to have more of a better background, I guess, like as high as a background as Brett, but it didn't come off that way all the time. Like, I feel like he was definitely like, I wouldn't go as far as saying like an everyday's man, but like he was more reasonable <laughs> with things. Like he's like, we're obviously trying to sneak around, just be cool. And the other one's like, that's ridiculous. I I can never just be cool. Like I'm me, the Lord. <laughs> as indeed uh, Pico, the character of Pico played by Annette Andre actually says, uh, where do you get this Lord bit? Oh, it's a talent I inherited. Effectively, again, a nice sort of, and also saying a great deal, I suppose, about the British class system and how deference, um, arguably still very much to the fore here, but that whole notion of, you know, member of the House of Lords, member of royalty, somebody gets in to see uh, the, uh, the business operative, and um, we move from there, of course. Uh, didn't quite work out the, uh, the position of all of the, uh, the stuffed birds that were actually there, but uh, that's quite an interesting sidebar. I so thought. many birds. <laughs> so many cages. <laughs> lots, lots of messages there. And, of course, the actual ultimate notion of hiring an actor who actually looks like uh, the person who has died to actually fulfill his, his position. I thought that was quite nicely put together. And the minor glitch that I had, which I think we'll show later, is surely, given that the brakes had been effectively uh, sabotaged, how did they actually maintain to actually stay on the edge of that cliff whilst the other car was bumping into them, and at the same time managed to rip a hole through the roof to effectively <laughs> uh, sort the other miscreant out? I thought that was that that stretched credibility a little bit, even for a superhero based system, which, of course, neither Brett or Danny have superheroic powers. I agree completely. I did notice that. But I was going to give it to the production team for their quick cuts into different moments. So you had to just accept this reality where things were just going to work out. And they did. <laughs> OK, so let's talk favorite characters who particularly floated your boat. Was it Quinn Travis? Was it uh, Judge Fulton? Was it Lord Brett Sinclair? Was it Pico, Rain? Was it the villains? Oh, so the, <laughs> the villains were great every because of how they shot the camera. Houston, it was Houston, not, not Dallas. It was Houston, or was it Dallas? <laughs> Show him, Michael. Ridiculous <laughs> sentence. So I did enjoy them. I mean, there's, everyone has a shining moment in here and I, I do appreciate a lot. Um, the best uh, supporting character is the judge's uh, mustache, in my opinion. Only a few moments, but like really stole the show. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess if I'm going to pick one solid character, as much as I enjoyed uh, an ex character, I, I mean, I liked a lot that she brought into it. I think I liked Lord Brett a little bit more um, just because I was never really ready for what he was going to say. Like, uh, <laughs> like the ending, one of his lines being like, oh, yeah, who has friends like these that just abandon you during your hour most in need? Like, <laughs> uh, And, you know, just being really witty, really on top uh, and just enjoyable to watch. I was always kind of ready to, I was at the edge of my seat waiting to be like, what's he going to say now? What's, what's the retort I can't come up with? <laughs> so Lord Brett Sinclair as played by the late Sir Roger Moore, 
effectively gets the, uh, the, the the nod from your good self. And it's interesting, of course, the shift that Moore had to go through moving from this into his next major role, which of course was that of James Bond, uh, which was a little bit more kind of focused in time. And this was obviously after he'd already uh, won his way into the hearts of much uh, television history by playing Simon Temple and Saint, which again we'll be returning to sometime in the not too distant future. Okay, we'll find out what the rest of the team make of uh, Power Switch as the programme proceeds, but I need to ask you now, Cathy, uh, and I probably won't edit this into the, I'll, I'll keep it at this moment so the listener will know what you've given. The rest of the team won't until we reveal this at the end. Uh, what uh, is your score going to be for this edition of the Persuaders Power Switch? Uh, it, it's getting points for set design. Also, I was impressed that it was like in location. Like I, I knew I was looking uh, like it was France for sure. There was no doubt in my mind. I also really liked the everyone's outfits they brought it so that got a lot of high points for me it was just very pretty to look at the whole time also the music really good um <laughs> john barry uh, one of his finest scores we lose points with the final dance sequence because they could have they could have coordinated <laughs> can you do the chicken eight out, eight of, ten. Eight eight out, out of ten and after that Interesting line, which I know what Kathy's score is, but none of the rest of the panel do, so we'll find that out later. Let's turn to Jessica Burtis. As I said, special relationship, America, uh, England, and so on. This, I suspect, was the first time you'd encountered uh, Curtis Ann Moore, Wilde and Sinclair, in uh, episode The Persuaders. Yeah, but it was actually really fun. Um, I enjoyed this episode a lot. I, I think we, we see a lot of um, shows that are 60s or 70s, and it's like, you know, this crew of people who go around solving crimes, and they run into chaos, and, you know, dastardly villains, and it it's fun every time. But this one was really cool, um, because I think the dynamic in the group is really great. And of course, it's fantastic seeing Annette um, in another role. And I agree that she was a lot more present in this one and she she was doing more and it was really exciting to kind of see more of her range as an actress. Um, plus, I just love the whole aesthetic of the 60s, 70s transitionary years um, in a show. That's so fun. <laughs> um, and the American, the, the American in the show was like, I was cracking up about it, <laughs> but it was it was a very fun episode. So I really enjoyed it. I'm glad that we watched it. Well, I mean, the delivery of the parrot joke or the bird joke and the, uh, the, the notion of why didn't he actually explain something to me was, uh, you know, a, a true classic in its own way. But we've, we've managed to get the balance right here. We've heard from Kathy Manso. So actually, I think we're, we're three each in terms of oh, three, four, possibly. I mean, I'm not including Wales at this particular moment in terms of the spread. Let's turn to Pamela Suman. Pamela, uh, your thoughts on this particular ITC adventure without any major uh, back photography actually filmed on location for the most part oh, how nice <laughs> well hi everyone um yeah i i liked it <laughs> i don't know why I'm, I'm saying that so emphatically maybe it's the coffee but i really i really liked it and so stylish and yeah seeing annette oh my god what a great act, actor and dancer um and just i love tony curtis you know, I, I, I love him. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's actually, you know, one of the greats, I think. One of the great comic greats, honestly. Um, he and, and, and Jack Lemmon, you know, uh, I just, I mean, anyway, um, I wasn't really prepared to like it, but it's fantastic. Thumbs up. So you were pleasantly surprised, in other words, Pamela, in terms of that delivery. So what has it inspired you to bring to the Resonance Rewind Party as we've restored, after a, a gap of a few weeks, a Pamela Suman piece of music that has been inspired by this particular number? Why have you gone for this one? And what is it? Well, it's almost sort of a, a double entendre in a way, but... Uh, um... Coming for you is just a title that just, you know, to me speaks to the bad guys. <laughs> We're coming for you. But at the same time, it's a very sort of tongue and cheeky and, and the go-go dancing is a bit naughty and the song is a little bit naughty. and uh, It just seemed like a, the perfect marriage. That's why. In the morning I find myself with you all my life. Oh, I'm shaking in tears and it's my mind I can lose as you move further from here. Inside my ear. 
we are coming for you, uh, Pamela Suman from the album Break, in case you wish to actually uh, delve deeper into the Pamela Suman oeuvre. Uh, okay, uh, it seems, Jenny, as though certainly you're in the minority vis-a-vis -vis your views on Bernard Schwartz, otherwise known, of course, as Tony Curtis. Uh, that's okay. I thought he was wonderful as well in, in all sorts of ways. Um, but of course, we did have a couple of other key areas here. Terence Alexander, of course, who uh, is uh, crops up as Matthew Crane. And of course, the um, uh, soul who's basically was married to the director at the time, Melissa Stribling, uh, who plays Lisa Kirstler. Um, interesting enough, of course, uh, Melissa also passed away. I think Annette, if memory serves, Annette's probably the sole surviving member of the cast, actually. I think everybody else has moved into Heaven FM uh, for a variety of reasons. I personally liked the French petrol attendant. I, I feel as though actually he was uh, underused and underestimated and he gave his entire performance in French, which was wonderful from that point of view. But Robin, you've heard what some of the team have been saying. Uh, what did you make of this? I mean, it does have a science fiction edge on the whole thing in terms of an entire guise to becoming uh, Lanning Kersler. Uh, there are sort of measures with, within that. Uh, how did you feel it actually uh, pans out uh, several decades later? Well, I, I was a huge fan of The Persuaders in the early 70s on its first run. Um, more so a fan of The Persuaders than I was, say, The Saint or, or The Avengers, or even, dare I say, Randall and Hopkirk. This one, I, I, I think it kind of caught me at an age where, where you know, I, I, I just fell straight into it. Um, I'd heard some of the buzz about the series before it started, and it was one that I was really, really looking forward to. Um, the, the stars were just effortlessly cool. But the, the plot, having watched the episode and, watched, and, and thought about it afterwards, I can't help but feel that there's a question that I, I would like to put to the team. Now, the, the, the local police officer really could not care less uh, about, you know, the fact that there's been a body found. It's like, ho-hum, yeah, it happens all the time. We'll just stick her in a grave and that, that'll be that. And Judge Fulton comes out and he, he has manipulated, knowing that the police officer will kind of irk Sinclair and Wilde into action. Am I wrong or is it implied that Judge Fulton had the body placed where they knew, where he knew that they would find it, and they were set up from that moment onwards? If that's if that's the case, isn't he far far more devious than we ever thought? But it, as far as the the actual episode is, it, everything is just super stylish. I mean, I would give a right leg for that DBS Aston Martin of, of uh, Roger Moore's, even at today's fuel prices. Um, <laughs> the, the whole thing about there being a, a body double, well, you will swallow that as long as you have already swallowed the fact that you've got two multimillionaires getting into trouble, being shot at week by week, no bodyguards, no security, they have no jurisdiction, they have no legal powers, and they always bring the, the bad guys back. I particularly like the dialogue between the Inspector Blanchard and uh, Brett Sinclair when he says, did you know the deceased? Uh, no, uh, she was a British subject. There are 50 million of us. Yeah. Lots of lines like that going in. in, in Annie, what? what uh, I don't know if you've got an answer for, for Robin there in terms of is Judge Fulton a lot more devious than actually he uh, purported to be? Uh, is it all about persuasion, as in the persuaders being persuaded to do things, or indeed how you felt the uh, the narrative actually unfolded? Well, yes, I I don't know about the body being placed there. I, I didn't pick up on that, but... Um, I do miss things in as much as sometimes if there's a, a film on, I'll have my other half sitting beside me and he'll pick things up that I don't. Um, and since he wasn't sitting beside me to watch it, I couldn't ask him that. Um, but no, I, I didn't pick up on that that part, really. And yeah, I just thought... That was he... said, I stress this. I was just thinking, well, you know, the judge got really involved really quickly yeah. because of that girl. 
and I was wondering if she had died earlier and they put her back where because it's a bit of a stretch that they'd be water skiing in that particular stretch where the body had been left without without them being you know kind of coerced into finding her that oh they're they're out skiing today are they over there all right put the body there we'll get them working on it 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 was it was a bit odd but i just took it that sometimes when you watch these uh these films and and series from way way back um i thought maybe it was just a bit of a oh gosh dare i say it uh, a, a bit of a writing error maybe they could have been a bit more um we, we can put it down to dramatic imaginative with the <laughs> Whether because you'd think she would have sunk, wouldn't you? Really, being in that part of the ocean, or um, probably fish food or something. But they I, did I, come I, across her. I, I don't think that she would have sunk with that physique. <laughs> oh, I know, but I mean, you know, you you just oh, I don't know. You never know how long she was supposed to have been there. I mean, I, I don't know, but I think I was so. Um, consciously looking for oh when's Annette going to turn up in it when's Annette but I, that I didn't sort of uh, I wasn't thinking about that and I'm so naive I, I take everything in and I believe everything <laughs> I just so enjoyed looking into the eyes of Tony Curtis <laughs> and, and looking at the physique of Roger Moore that, that <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that that was not on my mind <laughs> People aren't just flies that you can squash and flick off your wrist, as as Andre said. It's all about the physique, or not, as the case may be. Um, Pamela, your your own sort of view, views on this. I mean, again, um, my big issue, as I said earlier with Kathy, is I felt in the the almost the the end sequence where the car is hanging off the cliff. I felt they were very fortunate, given that the brakes had been effectively cut that it took several knocks and it still wasn't being pushed over and they managed to actually rip off the roof within the three seconds and Danny Wilde obviously saved the day. That just stretched it a little bit for me. But anyway, carry on, Pamela. And unmute yourself, otherwise we could only lip read. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know if it's because I've not been with you beautiful people for a few weeks now and I, I miss you all so terribly that I'm just so happy to be here. Uh, but I employed a healthy amount of what I wrote to Robin, a suspended disbelief in the entire episode where it, it really didn't matter. That, that kind of stuff did not really affect me at all. I think, I think really there was, maybe that it's one of the first shows uh, that I've really just in some weird way connected with. And maybe it's just the fashion. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it just, what I felt about the show, which is positive, is that to flow to it from beginning to end it was it was well executed it was well written the dialogue was not roll your eyes cheesy dialogue the actors were all really strong and um i mean even roger moore who didn't he say he wasn't an actor or someone and said you know that he he just was roger moore he didn't really have to act but i felt like he was they were all acting and maybe tony raised the bar for roger and i i'd like to see more of of these guys, the persuaders, uh, this particular, sounds like a band, these uh, probably was, these particular people, um, this particular show, because I don't know, everything sort of clicked and I liked it and I loved the cars and the clothes. Oh, and her sandals, her sandals were fantastic. But so I think, I don't know, it just like I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't nitpicking, I think, oh. maybe. I don't think anybody has actually picked up on the sandals before, Pamela. So uh, good, good identification there. Um, Jessica, uh, again, as somebody who's seen it for the first... Well, actually, Pamela's seen it for the first time. Um, more of it... I mean, clearly, there was supposed to be a second series, but as Robin is well aware, uh, it was cancelled because Mission Impossible scored higher ratings in the States at the time. So, yeah, there you go. But, Jessica, back to yourself. I think, like like mentioned the car and stuff I think it's funny because some of this stuff I I tend to um view shows as like I know acting can be a bit different based on the era um I think it's funny though sometimes watching them in reverse and some things are like very dramatic and I feel like maybe now um shows take themselves too seriously I don't know uh, I thought it was funny at one point when they told like the guy that um Julie was dead and he like 
dropped his glass and his wife like clutched him and it was it was so dramatic in that moment it was just very comical how they did it. I don't think I was supposed to be laughing but I just thought it was kind of funny how they portrayed it um but overall I think the show was just like it was very fun and I think kind of going off of um Pop Crook and Randall um deceased it was kind of fun to see like another I guess a more like um goofy show in a way where it was kind of just fun um I, I kind of like those shows where they they seem to you know it's a very serious topic I guess when you're investigating a murder that the police aren't taking seriously and there's corruption happening but they still like make you laugh every now and then um and I think that the dynamic between the trio was a big help to that because I actually enjoyed like seeing them talk and kind of bounce interactions off each other. And um, like Miss Pamela said, like the fashion was beautiful. I want to, I want to wear um, Annette's dress. Like it's so pretty. <laughs> so I think I was kind of absorbed in like the, the decor, like the pops of color and how pretty it was. So I think I was kind of like swept up in that part of it. Yes, I love the way you said Hopcook and Randall deceased as opposed to Randall and Hopcook deceased. It, just, oh, oh, it works on that sort of things. It's it's okay. It's <laughs> it's a it's a new series. It's a new variation we can go through on that one. Uh, Jenny, um, again, presumably not gazing into the eyes of Tony Curtis, uh, but you know the dynamic, the connection. You said you liked it more than you anticipated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I have seen it before, and it, it, I, obviously I watched it when I was young, and it, it didn't appeal to me at all. Um, I, as I said before, I do know that I'm because there was one other there was another show that we did that I think I said a very similar thing about that I'm not really into the kind of things that are made a little bit comedy. I, I don't really like comedy very much. Um, but uh, I have to give a mention to Lionel Blair. The highlight of the show for me was the appearance of Lionel Blair. I was like, oh, my God, is Lionel Blair. <laughs> How awesome. Um, and Lionel Blair and, and the music. Yeah, I mean, I love the music. I've always known the music and I have always really loved it. But um, yeah, not so keen on the show. <laughs> Sorry. The, 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 the Quinn Travis go-go dancers, of course, uh, uh, being uh, actually, I think they were a real life troupe, not Quinn Travis, but Lionel Blair used his own dancers within that mm. particular field. He was yeah, the benefit of Pamela and Jessica. They were real dancers and you can they, tell that Andre was not a real dancer. Sorry, Annette, but... Uh, I, I used to be a dancer, and you can tell the difference. <laughs> she, she, she was almost ballet trained. Um, okay, let's uh, start, start finalising details a little bit more. Annie, who were your favourite characters in this particular episode? Well, I have, I've got to have my three, haven't I? Because they're just my favourite. It's got to be Annette, Roger and Tony. <laughs> okay, and not, not Terence Alexander, nor indeed no. the... Un- the unnamed French petrol assistant who doesn't even get <laughs> mentioned in the, in the in the in the credits or the, or the casting from that point of view. Never mind. They, they were all wonderful, but my my favourite three. <laughs> Robin. Oddly enough, I was always more of a fan of Danny Wilde's brash impetuousness than I was of of um, Brett Sinclair's more laid back cool but I did prefer the Aston Martin to the Ferrari. So um, very narrowly, I'm going to give this one to Tony Curtis. So Danny Wilde actually wins it from your own point of view. Jessica, what about yourself? I think I'm going to have to go with Annette. It was very cool seeing crime fighting while also being like a fashion inspiration. That makes perfect sense. So Pico Rain uh, secures the, the witch for herself and Pamela. Yeah, I was going to go for one, but I think I'm going to go for three. And that would be Tony. And he just reminds me of my family. Um, and uh, and the French petrol guy, he was just, he really should have been in a Jacques Tati film. Or maybe he was. And maybe he wasn't French at all. Probably the case. But um, Annette. And of course, Annette. I mean, you know, because I have to say about Annette, she held her own with them. And she was, I think, part of the reason why it didn't seem so subjectifying, ob- objectifying, sorry, to women was because of Annette she's just such a strong presence and she's so I don't know it's like you know you don't you don't even if you act sexist towards her she doesn't receive it that way she's got a lot of presence um because it didn't bother me even though there were the go-go dancers I had a moment of eye rolling but you know the the uh that whole misogyny just I don't know it didn't seem present or maybe I just am blind to it but yeah so Tony the French petrol guy and Annette 
interesting uh, pa package. Maybe there could actually be a, a revamped series featuring those three. Um, there has been talk, of course, of, of Steve Coogan actually taking on board the role of, of Brett Sinclair and uh, a, a remake. That seems to have gone quiet now. Do you think this, this series would work, Pamela? Do you think it could be remade? Or is it a case of no, no those days have gone? No, 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 no. I don't think that I've ever seen anything. I mean, at least from my time before my time that I hadn't seen, they were the originals. But I don't really think I've seen anything that was made better, ever. And especially if it was made in a certain time like that, it's iconic. So anyone who's too attached to that and how it is, it's, you just, you can't, you can't do it. Uh, Annie, I, I realize one of the reasons you uh, you weren't actually accompanied by David Snart uh, in the viewing of The Persuaders was because David is uh, having his own trauma with respect to Leeds United <laughs> losing their manager and indeed uh, all the trouble that's going through with respect to Marce Mar Marcello Bielsa and so on and, and, and losing, of course, as well. That's understandable. But anyway, coping with all of that. Traumatised, uh, he is. <laughs> I figured he would be. Um, so what, what about your own favourite character? Who's that to? Uh, Annie, yourself. Oh, to me, my own favourite character in that. Well, it's got to be Annette. It's got to be Annette. She's just so natural. I, I mean, yes, she did. She, she really did. She was up there with the two greats, but she was so natural. Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Love it to pieces. <laughs> the music was mentioned, of course, by, by Jenny. Uh, although John Barry wrote the theme, I think Ken Thorne was responsible for uh, some of the uh, the uh, iconic music that's there. And we will be actually listening to the uh, music with lyrics uh, in the uh, the hind end of the whole thing in terms of Gotta Get Away, which is the, the tune we actually hear uh, the instrumental version of when, of course, Wilde and Curtis are skiing in the first place. Um, Jessica, you're going definitely for it, I presume, on the character front. Yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> I wish, um, actually, is she in more of the show? Because if so, it'd be cool to watch more, I guess, on my own time. Or is this like a future episode with her? Annette does not appear again in the no. 23 remaining episodes of The Persuaders. But there are That's lots of other interesting characters and other areas we will be exploring, no doubt as time passes, but that's to come. Uh, let's go for scores and uh, thoughts on that particular point of view. Um, Robin, let's turn to you first. What's your score for this one? Oof. That is a tough one. Um, kind of a far-fetched plot, which I like because the entire premise is far-fetched. You didn't talk about the stuffed birds, of course. As... The, 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 the... The, 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 the stuffed uh, animals and, and, and the birds and the aviary that we actually see there, the sort of quaint notion of that, which was quite weird. Indeed, indeed. Bit of the old Norman Bates there. You knew they were bad guys, they had stuffed animals. I am actually going to go for a very rare nine. Wow. Mm. Uh, interestingly enough, one higher than Kathy Manso's view. She gave it an eight as we heard earlier. Uh, Jessica, what's your score? I'm going to have to agree with Rob, and I think a nine. I think this is a score I gave last week as well. Um, so just excellent. I really enjoyed it. What would it have needed, Jessica, for it to actually have made a 10? <sighs> I don't know. I, that's a good question. I feel like I would have wanted maybe a bit more like exposition because I feel like starting off with them just finding the body, I feel like I want like more. I want to hear more at the beginning. Yes, we never, I mean, we, we heard about Julie. We heard that she yeah. uh, had her trophy book, that uh, she wasn't really bad. She just obviously didn't want to have anything to do with you if you weren't a millionaire, which is okay, understandable. I mean, that, that, that could well be a sort of a, a rational way forward. Uh, but uh, she's obviously the, the unspoken soul from that. I did, however, quite like the uh, uh, introduction of uh, the character of uh, Annette to the, uh, the, the life of a travelling hoofer and the whole aspect that we saw there, that all the glamour uh, isn't what it pales into insignificance and so on, and, and the line that she was saying about the, the gay, uh, glamorous life of a travelling trooper. Uh, begins to tarnish at the edges. And I thought that was quite uh, interesting. I mean, I, I did feel that certainly uh, Cruz, the John Cruz, 
possibly, I mean, Terry Nation, I think, script edited for uh, the bulk of the series. There were some wonderfully phrased lines that I think were quite useful um, in, in a whole range of ways, including, of course, Brett Sinclair's, uh, I'm never going to go into a servant's entrance in my entire life. You know, why, why, why would I do that? You know, it's, it's very, absolutely essential. Uh, and I can see the inspectors actually coming to get me as well. Pamela, <laughs> what, uh, what, 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 what's your uh, final score for this one? As you do. Um, I want to give it a nine. Yeah, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a nine. Um, for, I mean, for, yeah, because there wasn't a little, there, it would have been nice if they had just spelled it out just a little more in the beginning. But I... I want to give it a nine and I was going to say something. And then when you called on me, I suddenly had that moment like being in class when you're young and you freeze <laughs> and you know the answer, but the teacher says, it's your turn. And so I don't remember what I was going to say, which was, I, I know it was absolutely illuminating and important to this discussion, but it's gone. So nine. <laughs> well, it can always return, Pamela. I mean, you know, there's still a few moments. If it emerges, just, just shout it out. That's the key thing. Uh, Jenny. I'm gonna give it six. Yeah, there we are. That's take, take, very take generous. it. That's for the music and for Lionel Blair and for the the good chemistry between the three leads. Even though you're not a fan of Tony Curtis, we've identified no. that. Uh, and Annie. Well, there was so much in it that I loved. Um, I love anything seventies. I love the Coke dessert. I, I love the fact that it was so light-hearted and there was fun in it. It was I'm not into really serious things. And of course, it was star-studded with people that I grew up um, you know, watching on TV. So for me, uh, and it was good acting, good storyline. So for me, a 10. There you go. Annie Snart actually calling it from that point of view. Let's mention some of those actors. Of course, Lawrence Nesmith as the judge. Terence Alexander, we've already spoken about as Matthew Crane. John Phillips as Lanning Kessler. Uh, and of course, Paul Whitson-Jones, who portrayed Inspector Blanchard. Uh, and let's throw in Vicky Wolf as the rent-a-car girl as well, who obviously had to, uh, to, to, to sort the, yeah, the, the challenges out from that point of view. Uh, so there we have it, the end of our ITC stint for now. Uh, next week, we're back with the world of Irwin Allen. Uh, we actually go on to a different planet. We actually look at the Keeper. Is it going to be a Keeper, though? It's the first of a two-part episode of Lost in Space with Robbie the Robot, uh, Zachary Smith and others. Is it going to be a classic line for all sorts of ways? Robin, you're making all sorts of How cutting things. How dare there. you call Robot B9 Robbie the Robot? We sorted all that out in the War of the Robots episode. Oh, I insist we put that on in the future now. <laughs> there you are, you see. There's always tension, always concern. But for the moment, to Pamela Suman, to Annie Snart, to Jessica Burtis, Jenny Bill, and Robin Pierce, and Kathy Manso, who obviously gave us our, our thoughts earlier in the programme. Huge thanks. And as ever, keep on resonating. <laughs>